I'm Sandra Amstutz. I'm a social media man. Oh, hold on. Morning, Morning voice. voice. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Feeling It, a podcast where we discuss TV, movies, pop culture, and whether or not we are feeling it. If this is your first time joining us, welcome to the show. And here we go. Come on, talk and talk. All right, here we go. You guys want to hear something neat? It's showtime! Hold your ears, folks. Here we go! See what you can do now. Take your position. All right, ladies, buckle up. Let's do this. Hold on to your butts. Seriously? Listen to me very, very carefully. Hey, it's me again. Eat him up. Enjoy it. Hello and welcome to this never-ending nightmare we call 2020. <laughs> this week, we will continue our mini-series where we explore the films of writer-director Ryan Johnson. This week of all weeks, we are actually diving into his 2017 Star Wars film, The Last Jedi. But before we get into that, let's introduce ourselves and answer the question, what color lightsaber would you wield in this universe? I'm Sandra Amstutz. I'm a social media manager in Nashville, Tennessee. And of the colors that are in the films, I would choose blue. But if I could have any color, my favorite color, I've always said, is a color that my grandmother made up called sky blue pink, which (laughs) is the color of the sky when it's like the sun is setting and it's a blend of like pinks and blues. And that's what the color of my sky, my lightsaber would be. It would be like blue at the bottom and then it would like have a gradient into like a light pink. Wow, I did not even think about a gradient lightsaber. That's well done. Thanks. <laughs> um, I'm gonna be super basic. Uh, if we, <laughs> my lightsaber, well, would, who are you? Oh yeah, I'm I'm Lucas Wright, a designer from Chicago. And if we're just going with uh, colors that are in the in the movies, I would go with red for sure. Um, and if we get to make up our own color, I would choose like a very very dark maroon. So still the Ooh. same, basically. Yeah, no, no, no. But I like that. Yeah, I like that. It's it's more like chic and elegant. Exactly. A much more an elegant weapon for a more sophisticated. I don't remember the how the. Well, <laughs> anyway, yeah. we're really into yeah. Star Wars. <laughs> we know all the things. <laughs> um, we will be diving into the Last Jedi, but before we get into that, every week we like to talk about something we've discovered or rediscovered throughout the week. Um, those options are very limited during this quarantine. But Sandra, what are you feeling this week? Okay. So this week, one of my favorite comedians, his name is Joel Kim Booster, he decided to host a live stream event like a lot of people are doing nowadays. Um, but he hosted this one for charity where you like bought a ticket to watch it and the proceeds went to like some charitable organization. Um, but what he was doing on his live stream event was he was curating a selection of YouTube videos and commenting on them with special guests. And the YouTube videos were clips from an award show called The Jimmies. Have you ever heard of The Jimmies, Lucas? I have not heard of The Jimmies. Okay. I'm not super informed about it. I only know, like, mostly about it through comedians that I like. But The Jimmies is a um, competition slash show for teens that are like the best teens in the country at musical theater each year um i don't know if it's like it's either like 40 or 80 i I don't know the exact number but like boys and girls that are like starring in their high school productions of musicals are nominated to go to the jimmies and it's a national like best of competition and they go and they take the songs of whatever like 
character from the musical they're playing in their high school production. You know what I mean? So if you're playing, like, the witch from Into the Woods, you would go to the Jimmies and sing the witch's songs from Into the Woods as, like, your competition piece. Wow. They get all these teens, and it's they have a week long to, like, rehearse this big show, and then the show is all these teens performing solos, um, and medleys with each other as part of the competition. And at the end of it, there's like a best actor and a best actress. And so it's like this really, really big deal. And a lot of these winners go on to have very successful careers on Broadway. And so it's, a, you know, a great launching point. Um, so one part of the competition slash show is they'll s- divide the contestants into these smaller groups of like between five and 12 teens, um, divided by gender and these like 10 girls will do a medley of all of their songs from all their different musicals so they're in costume as their character from the musical um and they're singing a song from their musical but while they're singing their their part the rest of the girls in their group are providing like the chorus background and they all take turns and and it's a medley of all these songs together and they're really, really charming and impressive. I mean, I think I'm always blown away by, like, how talented teenagers can be because I was not that talented <laughs> when I was a teenager. And, um, yeah, and I, in this time, am really leaning into musicals as, like, a <laughs> source of comfort. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, all these, like, medley... Um, competition videos from so many years. Um, they're all on YouTube for you to, to watch and just um, to, to judge children, which is <laughs> fun in the privacy of your own home. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm having a fun time watching those, sharing them with my roommates. Um, yeah, having a blast doing nice. that. Nice. I'll definitely have to check that out. I do love musical send, theater. I don't know how I feel about I'll high schoolers, <laughs> but... We'll see how These it goes. are good ones. Okay. They're not cringeworthy. Okay. I good. would say the only thing cringeworthy about it are the costumes, and that's fun. <laughs> like it's fun to see like what a high school production like yeah. costume is, you know? <laughs> uh, and some of them are very good and some of them aren't, and that's that's fun to chat about. But the talent is there. And every now and then one of them hits a bad note and then you and you feel bad for them, but that's like part of the thrill. Oh, the other part of the thrill that I really, really thrive on is, like I said, there's like a group of 10 girls or whatever. And then they'll, at the very beginning of the clip, they read out each of the teens' names and like what character they're playing from what production, right? And it'll be like, so-and-so is playing Cinderella from Into the Woods. So-and-so is playing Millie from Thoroughly Modern Millie. Then so-and-so is playing Eponine from Les Miserables. So-and-so is playing Eponine from Les Miserables. And you're like, this group has two Eponines. <laughs> Battle of the Eponines. And like they do that so many times where there's two teens playing the same character. And you get to like they usually when that happens, they'll like sing the same song at the same time. Oh my god. And it's like cutthroat in yeah. a way that I love. <laughs> yeah. Oh boy. So I'll I'll send you some clips. Lucas. Yeah, Definitely. Well, 
you are leaning into musicals. I am leaning into murder mysteries. <laughs> so <laughs> we've been watching a lot of old movies during quarantine, and murder yeah. mysteries have kind of floated to the top. But they're quaint. They're fun. Um, this weekend, actually, we're going to do a, a Maggie Smith murder mystery marathon. Um, she has fun. been in four murder mystery movies, um, two of them Agatha Christie remakes. So... It's gonna be it's gonna be a blast. Um, yeah. We're just really trying to pass the time over here. So, um, but this week I am talking about a murder movie that has no mystery at all. This week we watched Alfred Hitchcock's Dial M for Murder. Um, this is a movie where the bad guy just kind of lays out his plan in the first twenty minutes, and the rest of the movie is just watching him execute it and seeing how he changes and adapts as everything goes wrong. Um, it's got a great eccentric mustachioed detective tracking down clues. It's got uh, Grace Kelly trying not to get murdered. Uh, and it all takes place in one house. So it's exactly what we all need right now. Um, are you uh, uh Alfred Hitchcock fan? You know, I saw North by Northwest in college, I think, mm-hmm. and then just like really never gave him a shot. And yeah. then this year, pretty much right before quarantine, um, I saw Rear Window for the first time yeah. and was really blown away by how much I loved it. And so that made me really want to dive into his work for the first time. Um, so hearing like you described Island for murder, it's like, Oh, that does sound like exactly like what I want to be watching. Yes. I really love Alfred Hitchcock's like small, more intimate movies, uh, rather than like his big bombastic, like North by Northwest kind of things. Um, they're all good, but you know, these, these just are, are more fun. I think it's something that I hadn't seen before is just like you find out the bad guy's plan and the bad guy's really the main character for this month for the whole thing. Um, but you're, okay. so sometimes you find yourself kind of on his side a little bit, but the whole time you're like, wait a second, I don't want him to murder his wife. Like, <laughs> so it's, 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 it's really interesting. And, um, it feels like it goes by really quick too. Yeah. And I do love movies that take place in one location. Yeah. I think like the, I, I love the sense of like, really understanding the setting because you spend the entire time mm-hmm. in one setting. Yeah. And it does, I think Albert Hitchcock does a good job of not making it feel forced. It doesn't feel like it's yeah. like, Oh, we have to stay here. So we have to kind of put these restraints in place. Like it feels like the story actually makes sense to all be told here. Sure. But yeah, this dial yeah. M for murder. It's uh, cool. one of his best. Um, did you own it or is it streaming somewhere? Uh, yeah, it is streaming on a platform called Tubi. Uh, it was mm. It's an app available on the Apple TV. It is free. Um, I've never cool. heard of it before, but it was one of those things where on the Apple TV, you can just search for a movie and it'll tell you where it's available. And it just said right. it was like Tubi. So I was like, all right. So I downloaded Tubi and I watched it for free. And it's got a, other, a bunch of other old movies on there as well. So, awesome. Yeah. All right. Um, before, yeah, as we as we transition into Star Wars, we have some news this week. Um, Taika Waititi, Academy Award winner, winning writer and director of Jojo Rabbit, and I don't know why I can't think of his other movies: Hunt for the Wilder People, uh, Thor, Thor Ragnarok. <laughs> um, Ragnarok. And uh, he, so he what is. What we do in the shadows? Yes, what we do in the shadows. That was the one I was thinking of. Yeah, um, he will be directing a Star Wars movie. Or this follows on the heels of the announcement that Leslie Headland, uh, showrunner of Russian Doll, is is developing a new uh, Star Wars series for Disney Plus. Um, so I'm excited about both of those. Do Do you know um, off the top of your head how many Star Wars projects are in the works? If we count uh, Leslie Headland's show and Taika Waititi's movie, um, we have a, a Rogue One prequel series. For Cassian yes. and or? Uh-huh. Um, what four. else do we have? Well, 
you know, there hasn't been an official Nix on the Ryan Johnson series. True. So technically he's got a trilogy eventually. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they haven't, yeah, put an official kibosh on that. Yeah. Although it's interesting. I think what's interesting about the Taika Watiti announcement is that I feel like pretty recently they put out an announcement saying we're going to hold off on film production for a while. Yeah, that's right. They did. I know this they weren't going to I mean, obviously nothing's coming out in 2020, but they were also just saying, like, we're taking a break (laughs) on the Star Wars stuff. And that like and not just film, I guess, but I feel like the announcement was like we're putting a hold on development like we're gonna like re-strategize yes i know the Um, mandalorian was still continuing on like they weren't like stopping any of that but um right but like the obi-wan series and like the cassian series were like put on hold kind of Mm -hmm. and it was assumed that like any film that had been promised to someone like ryan johnson was being put on hold yeah um and and it's I guess the question is, does that is that hold a fancy way of saying canceled or <laughs> it, it doesn't really mean hold? Right. Yeah. So my assumption is they're just kind of trying to figure out how to re-strategize um, based off <laughs> everything that um, has kind of gone down with with the the sequel trilogy. Um, right. So I think I do think I mean, they've had a couple months, so I'm curious kind of where they're at now. If these announcements mean that they have a new strategy moving forward and they they'll kind of be getting back to work obviously not now but they will eventually be getting back to work on some of the series that they had in, in, in play that is also something strange about the timing of these announcements is it does really feels like it feels very weird to be making announcements about future film projects when we're so uncertain about what the future looks like and unless it's like animation you know yeah, yeah. um and so it's like okay you're telling us that taika gets a star wars movie but like when is the Star Wars movie even <laughs> going to happen? Yeah. Like, why announce it now if we don't even know if there will be movie theaters in a year? You know? Like, right. I don't know. That That is also unsettling to me. <laughs> I think it's a perfect time to announce because you don't have to follow it up with anything. <laughs> you, don't, you don't have to give dates. You don't have to give timelines. You can just be like, yeah, he's going to do it. It'll yeah. be great. So. Yeah. Um, um, how are you feeling about... Like, artistically, Taika and Leslie Headland having new projects to work on. I think it's great. I think something that we'll talk about in, once in we get the Star in, Wars universe, I guess. I mean. Yes, yes. Um, once we get into the Ryan Johnson stuff, I, I think Star Wars has been a genre for a long time. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that's worked to its detriment. And I think as kind of we see some of the people who are involved in these, um, they kind of have their own thing going on. And so bringing their style to a Star Wars movie, um, I think, is good for the brand um, to kind of democratize that a little bit more as opposed to having a George Lucas tone for absolutely everything. Um, So I'm excited for that. I do think, uh, I I mean, obviously I wish that it happened earlier. (laughs) I wish they'd um, allowed a little more flexibility into that. Um, but I think it's, I think it's good. I think Taika is a very unique director and, and writer, and I don't think you can quash his style. I mean, we've seen that with Thor Ragnarok and working, he's good at working within a system and is still able to, um, to bring kind of his, his piece to it. So here's the thing about Taika is that like, he's good at working. We, when you say he's good at working in a system, we've only seen it do it, him do it once. And it was with a franchise Thor that was like in the 
public sense in need of a refresh and like they they were willing to give him a lot of freedom with that p- particular property you know what i mean um and and marvel is a different beast than star wars and as we've seen as a lot of people have pointed out on twitter like how many times in the in the recent years has star wars hired an interesting like cool director and then taken the movie away from the mid production mm-hmm. um so it's like do we really think that that's not going to happen here um so i think it's I think Marvel is better. I think Marvel is better at PR, um, but that I because because I I think that same thing has happened with Marvel a lot too. Like interesting directors have gotten Marvel films and then gotten them taken away from them. Um, I can only oh, think of one. So we've got uh, Edgar Wright was taken away from him. Um, I think uh, uh, what's his name? Scott Derrickson was doing Doctor Strange two. Um, that yeah, got taken recent. away from him. Um, yeah. Who else? I f- I feel like there. I feel like there have been more directors that have been a little more boundary pushing that haven't really worked with within um, Marvel's uh, genre, really. But I do think I do think what Taika brings is um, like he is a team player and so he's willing to kind of go along with it. And yes, like Thor and the Hulk, the people that he has in those movies were people that uh, that needed a little bit of rehab. I don't, I'm not sure they would have been as flexible if he'd wanted to do a Captain Marvel movie or Captain America movie, but yeah, or an Iron Man. Exactly. Um, But I do think he has that mentality of, of being a team player and being willing to work. I mean, they gave him another movie. So um, I do think that's something that they, they like working with him. And I think that's something that'll be good for him with star Wars. Yeah. I, I don't know. I just really sense this is another Chris, you know, Lord and Miller situation. Um, like waiting to happen. <laughs> I, I really, we'll I can, yeah. whereas on the other side of the spectrum, I think I'm so excited for Leslie Headland to do a series because mm-hmm. I think with a series, they will give her like a lot of free reign to like, yeah, do TV's something more flexible. In her voice. It's yeah. way more flexible. And, um, yeah. And I, I think that like, plus I'm excited for, a not only a female voice but like her specific brand of writing i like am very much drawn to um i think russian doll was like such a special project and that sense of like magical realism and mystery and humor that she has that like very edgy dry humor bringing that to a star wars world is thrilling to me mm-hmm. so Taika is like, that sounds fun. I I like Taika Waititi. I don't love him the way a lot of people do. But Leslie Headland, I think that like series is going to be a must watch for me. I'm excited about it. I But also with Star Wars material, I don't get super excited about it until we're actually <laughs> closer to sure. it. Because they cancel and, so many things. Right. And I think what will also be interesting is, I think as far as we know... Both of these seem to be maybe original series, um, but you never know with Star Wars, like what how they'll tie it in to former right. characters. Right. And so that will also, I think, play a big factor into how much freedom they get. Mm-hmm. You know, definitely. If Leslie Headland's making a series about completely original characters, then they're going to let her do what she wants because there's not going to be anyone to like complain about her ruining the legacy of so-and-so well, versus <laughs> we'll see 
I'm in, I'm in sure people will complain. <laughs> sure, but like if Taika says that he's doing like um like a young Palpatine or whatever, like right. <laughs> then like Hot that's Palpatine gonna. Movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, uh, like, it's like, you know, um, Jojo Rabbit, but yeah. with Palpatine. Like, <laughs> and it's just a government, like, <laughs> comedy. Yeah. It's like the Empire, like, yeah. falling apart, and, you know. Yeah. Um, Then I think, like, that might be a little bit more trouble. He might have a little more trouble, you know, yeah. because yeah. there will be the people being like, oh, no, now we're, we're mocking Palpatine, and all the Palpatine <laughs> fans are going to. I think fans are going to fan no matter what, but I do think he has a relationship with that. I mean, he's, he's been, he was in the Mandalorian. He's directed episodes of the Mandalorian. I think like he already yeah. has that relationship there. And so I, I do sure. think people are going to be, give him a little more leeway than they would Lord Miller with a solo, uh, prequel. Right. <laughs> so, right. And I guess that's what I mean is that like Lord and Miller had the toughest job of yeah. the entire franchise. Yeah. Like <laughs> do not envy <laughs> that at all. So, yeah. Well, cool. Um, yeah, I'm excited to see what comes out of uh, all of that Star Wars news and see if any year any of it is actually still real. So, yeah. <laughs> um, are you ready to talk about Ryan Johnson's Star Wars movie, The Last Jedi? Yes, I am. All of the things I do. I know everything I need to know about you. You do? All right, so if you want to hear us talk about this movie in completely in full, we did do an episode of, about this when um, this movie first aired in 2017. Um, today, we're really going to focus on the Ryan Johnson of the piece. Um, so he yeah. came into this post-looper. Um, he gets a Star Wars movie. And he is the only other person besides George Lucas to write one of these movies on his own. So they did give him full writing Um you have carte blanche on writing, I guess. Yeah, permission, permission yeah. to just write it. Um, all the other ones have had kind of a team or, you know, Lawrence Kasdan or um, everything kind of uh, coming on to kind of help with that. Um, but they let him do it on his own. He also brought in his cinematographer, um, Stephen y- y- Yedlin, I think, who has worked on all of his movies. Um, so it really felt like they kind of brought him into the family and said kind of like, you like do your thing within here. It like looking at kind of the cast and the list and stuff like that, that he worked on. It doesn't feel like they were too controlling. Um, yeah. One of the, I think one of the interesting things about star Wars, like I said before, it has felt like it has been its own genre um, for a long mm-hmm. time. And this movie, watching it after watching all of his other movies, you really start to feel a lot of the stuff that he, um, like a lot of the humor and things that he has in his movies um, kind of come through here, which feels very different from kind of what you've seen in Star Wars before. I like it. I like it a lot. Um, I know it did not um, work for a lot of people, but I thought this movie was very funny and I really liked the writing. Yeah. I mean, we can talk about, I think, how this ranks amongst Ryan Johnson's movies, I think, in our last Ryan Johnson episode. But when we, but I can say that how this movie ranks amongst Star Wars movies is that this is my favorite Star Wars movie. Um, and so, and a big part of that is because of the writing and how I think the writing you're right. I love the humor that Ryan Johnson brings to this. Not that Star Wars doesn't hasn't had humor in the past. It definitely has. Um, but his specific brand of humor, like, really always gets me in every single one of his movies. And then also, like, his commitment to theme and, like, morals and 
like learning lessons in his movies. Um, I really love, I love fairy tales and Ryan Johnson really writes his movies, even though he hasn't done fairy tale as a genre, like this Star Wars is probably the closest he's gotten because Star Wars at its heart is more fairy tale than it (laughs) is sci-fi. Um, I really love that his movies feel like fairy tales and yeah. And, and his writing, I think is perfect for the genre of Star Wars because it is a blend of like humor and action and like really sincere, like life lessons learned. Mm -hmm. Um, I think this movie is interesting because I feel like a lot of movies, like there's stuff that I like, there's stuff that I dislike, and it usually comes down to, you know, merging somewhere in the middle um, for just kind of how I feel about the movie overall. And this movie doesn't do that. This movie very, like the high points I I really value as very high and the low points I really hate. (laughs) Um, And so I don't think it it merges to like a a mediocre movie for me. It's both really great um, with some really bad parts in it for me. And so I think what I love about um, this movie is what you said is kind of how people learn <laughs> in this movie. Mm-hmm. People grow and change, um, which is, I mean, again, you don't get that in a lot of Star Wars movies. You get you get uh, change, but you don't get necessarily growth. Um, I think we can we can talk about the plot later. I think there's a lot of stuff that I really don't like about the way this movie is plotted. Um, but I think I think the writing is beautiful. I think the movie itself is beautiful i think this is the prettiest star wars movie (laughs) um i think it looks so good it looks so amazing um yeah you know it's interesting to hear you say that in other star movie star wars movies people like maybe learn but they don't grow or like they change but they don't grow um i don't know that i feel like that's the case i i'm comparing i guess to the original trilogy and not so much the prequels i don't like know those as well even though i've seen them once yeah um but compared to like the original trilogy i felt like that series was focused really on just the character growth of luke skywalker and like and like that's the only character like that they cared enough about to like give him an arc where like, he <laughs> changed and grew and then han solo a little bit to like a yeah. very, a, to like a little bit more of a surface level degree. Yeah. Um, I see a lot of that then, in the first movie, but not, not so yeah. much in the, in the second two. And I think, I think that kind of what I'm saying about change is like, I think Luke changes throughout the series, but I don't know if he grows outside of the first star Wars movie. Hmm, I don't, like, I disagree with that. Okay. Yeah. I feel like he does in the second and third, but what my point being is that like in the original truly we're, we're really focused on just him and his growth. Yeah. And then in this movie, it's like, every character gets to like grow and learn something and change like (laughs) every single main character. And that is thrilling to watch, to see like that, not just our hero, like goes through this growth cycle, but that, you know, the new characters we meet do the, the characters that we've known for decades do, you know, and our main character or villain, you know, like they, they all have, um, they all end up differently than when the movie starts. Mm-hmm. And Definitely. the movie takes place in such a short amount of time. It's like a day, yeah. like two days maybe. And to see like a full growth cycle in, ev- in almost every single character in that short of a time span is also thrilling to me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, do you, 
I guess I, I'm trying to think. To me, this feels like one of the only movies with like a true theme to the movie. Um, of just, I mean, I, I, in my head, I can't think of another Star Wars movie that just kind of hits the theme as hard as this one. But just the fact yeah. that good and bad are tied like close together, and that um, I don't know, like I like this is a like it's it's a theme in this movie, and everybody kind of hits on it. And I don't think that's been done in a Star Wars movie like this before. Yeah, I'm trying to think of like what would I say the themes were of the first Star Wars movies, and I feel like, um. I'm coming up on, like, the first one, I think, is a lot about, like, friendship mm-hmm. and, um, and like, fighting for what you believe in and, like, be, you know, and showing up, kind yeah. of. <laughs> and, and, like, and, and. There's, like, things your um, baseball coach yells at you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And I would say the second one is, like, very, like, pretty much all those same themes, right? Yeah. And then the third one, I think, is about, like finding light in places that you thought like were still dark. Um, like I think the, the redemption of Darth Vader in that third one is the main theme of the movie is Mm. that like everyone still can still have like a little bit of light left in them. Yeah. I think, Um, I think part of that, I think the part of what I'm, what I'm feeling about it is that because that, that trilogy is you really only have Luke as a true character, (laughs) um, as a, you know, fully fledged character, the theme just doesn't hit as hard because not everybody's learning that or growing from that theme. Whereas in this one, because you have so many characters on these different arcs, they're all kind of coming back to this theme and it just kind of hits a little bit harder. Right. Yeah. No, I. I okay. It's interesting that you said earlier that you had some problems with the way this movie is plotted or paced. I mm-hmm. guess um, I want to hear that because I love the way it's plotted and paced <laughs> for the most part. I guess yeah. Um, and maybe I maybe I will agree with you and about certain aspects. So I want to hear what you yeah. go into some, detail about that. Some of them are nitpicks, but some of them just feel like it kind of threw off the way I watched the movie. Um, and I I think the first time I watched it, I could I you know. I don't think I really picked up on it, but it did kind of change the way I was viewing it. And now kind of watching it for a third time, I was realizing, okay, that's what's hitting me. And that's why I'm kind of thrown off a little bit. Um, And the first thing is just at the beginning, this is a small thing, but um, the fact that they're being tracked through light speed, um, we're told immediately that like, that's impossible. You can't do it. Um, This is something that's never been done before. And so immediately what that, what that puts you on is, well, how did, how are they doing it then? Um, is that like, like, it feels like that's going to be part of the plot in some way of finding out how, and like in in my head, my jump to is like, you know, somebody is, somebody has betrayed them. You know, there are all these ways that, you know, they could track it. Um, and it turns out it doesn't matter. Like it, like that never comes up as to like how they're tracking them through light speed, but they just make such a big deal of like how impossible that it, it is, um, that it kind of skewed my expectation and that we're going to find out someday (laughs) and we don't. Right. Um, but I think that I, I that kind, yeah. The way that that setup like works for me, and it, but I think you're right. It doesn't work as well as it could have. Is that here's another thing that I really love when watching a Ryan Johnson movie is I love how clearly we see the setups and the payoffs. Um, mm-hmm. Like that is really thrilling for me, and yeah. that happens a lot in this movie. So like with this, the setup is like, how could they be doing that? Nobody on this like the top tier of like generals knows. And then the payoff is that when Rose and Finn meet and they talk about the fact that they're tracking them through light speed, 
like, the two people who, like, work on the lower levels are the ones that, like, can figure out how that they would do that. Yeah. And, like, how to stop it. Yeah. And that kind of plays into Ryan Johnson's theme in this movie and in a lot of his movies about, like, high class versus low class and, like, paying attention to people that are lower class. And, yeah. um, so I appreciate, like, the work that it's doing with, with that theme and mm-hmm. how that payoff played out. Yeah, I don't think I have, it's not something I have an actual problem with. I just think it set up a, an expectation for me that never got, sure. <laughs> never got sure, fulfilled. I get that. Um, and I think, I think a lot of it also just feels very like video game, um, like missions um, throughout of just like, okay, we've got to get this and we've got to get this. And you have somebody kind of explaining, these are all the steps you have to take and you have to look for the guy with the, the red plum bloom and he's yeah. going to be here at this table. And then the fact that it doesn't go according to plan doesn't bother me as much. Um, but I didn't feel like we needed all the setup of the big plan if the plan itself didn't even matter. <laughs> so I- a lot of, a lot of the things throughout the movie are you've got these big setups that are like, all right, let me tell you all the all the info and then let's go and do it. I do agree that I hated that we just like call Maz Kanata yeah. <laughs> like for a quick phone call. That is a really annoying. And that it's like, find this. You have 18 hours. Like yes. it's yes. like, yeah, the clicking, the ticking talk, the ticking clock down (laughs) um and the like finding a special character that can do a special thing i hate that and i i don't like video game storytelling that that is that feels like that Mm -hmm. and so that you're right that did not work for Mm -hmm. me and i think i think it is a little bit of the way that just action is told in this movie i think because it happens at the beginning with the bombers of like all right we got to take out the guns and then we have to bring the bombers in and then there's but you get good character within that story of rose's sister and everything like that so it doesn't bother me as much um and that felt more military and war to me than it did video game i think for me it's the explaining the but, fact that we know. have to explain the whole thing before we actually do sure. it, that feels sure. very video gamey to me. Yeah. Um, and I just think that the movie's just trying to do too much. I think there's just like, there's there's a lot going on in this movie. And I think like uh, pl- plot wise. Um, and for me, I think the reason that Cantobite sucks is because it introduces a new theme that isn't explored before or after Cantobite. Like they come, they go to Cantobite and you get this whole eat the rich situation that that kind of they go through um and then that never really comes up so like you get um i think with uh dj the the what is he what is his job he's there to he's there to break them in but i don't know what he actually does but like talking to him you get that theme of like the good and the bad are tied closer closely together and um the but the war profiteering stuff it's just like these guys are bad and we're going to have fun kind of trashing their, their world for a bit. And it doesn't feel like it ties in with the rest of the Mm. movie to me. Yeah. I I get what you're saying. I, I think it's such a fun theme and a fun like world to visit (laughs) that I don't know that I care. Yeah. (laughs) Um, like the can't, can't is so interesting because, uh, so in full transparency, we had to record, we record this in the morning and I had, put off watching this movie because I was doing other things. (laughs) And so I watched this movie at like 10 o'clock last night. And so I'm like, I really need to go to bed. And this is a two and a half hour movie. So I was like, I'm going to have to fast forward through stuff. And so of course I fast forwarded through the Canto bite stuff. Yes. Um, but 
I don't think Canto Bite stuff is bad. Well, not I'm not saying that you do, but that a lot of people do. And I think it's like, for me and my viewing experience, I'm so enthralled with everything else in the movie that like, Canto Bite is not as good. But if the rest of this movie was amazing, I would like the Canto Bite stuff. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. To me, it when just do... feels like it come from, comes from a different movie. Not that the Canto Bite itself thing is bad, but it sucks in this movie. Here's what I will say. I, I think you're kind of right. I don't think it... It feels like it does fit into Star Wars, though. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Yeah, definitely. Like, it doesn't feel outside of Star Wars. And so there is a little bit of, like that I like that it brings me back to like the world of star Wars, um, from like this, like meditative, like this, uh, like yeah. very meditative, like, like sequence that we have with Ray and Luke and Kylo. Mm-hmm. And then to be like thrust back into like, Oh yeah, I'm watching a star <laughs> Wars movie. It does uh, feel like the most traditional star Wars scenes. Yeah. In, which in I do movie. kind of appreciate, but I, I, I hear what you're saying that it does. It, it is like kind of whiplash. Yeah. I just think we get this all this buildup of we got to do this quickly. We got to find this guy and get back as soon as possible. And then it turns into, oh, we're hanging on this planet. And Finn's like, oh, I love it here. I love these people. This is who I want to be. And she's like, no, this is bad. And these people are terrible and they hurt everybody. And I'm like, I thought we were supposed to be trying to get out of here. Like, like it feels like they stopped to have like a whole other again theme um just yeah. on this planet which isn't a bad yeah. theme and I, I think it's something that i'm interested in it just feels like completely out of left field for this movie sure i get that so i do love that he can't do a movie without throwing in an eat the rich kind of theme yeah into yeah it. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, he like can't yeah. help himself yes. and it's like i love you for that ryan <laughs> um it just this movie like those scenes like oh i'm seeing all of the like knives out and all of, like the even like brick like really yeah. shining through in these moments. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think in his jokes and in his um his themes like that's what comes through here and it feels like a Ryan Johnson movie, which I think is really yeah. impressive. I think especially for a Star Wars movie, like he yeah. is the first person to come through and be like this is my movie and it feels like yeah. his movie, which I'm really impressed by. Um Totally. I think the only other plot thing that I had questions about, and I'm going to, I feel like I'm going to sound real men's right activist here, but um, okay. why does, why does Holdo not tell Poe the, the, the plan? I, I understand she has no reason or under no obligation to tell him. Sure. Um, but I feel like she would have saved herself a lot of trouble if she had. Right. And I understand that he's, he's being trash in this, in this whole thing. He is. But why didn't she tell him? Because as I was yeah. watching it, I was like, she's not telling him because there's a possibility that there's a mole on this ship and that's how they're tracking. And so she's just kind of keeping it tight, keeping it locked. So nobody knows what happens until they get off. Right. And then I'm realizing that's not how this movie works. Why didn't she tell him? Wait, I think that is why. What? Why does that not work? Um, good. The, it, she she could have told everybody on the ship that it's like, here's what we're going to do. We're going to get in these transports and we're going to go. But you were saying before that her reasoning was like she's keeping it tight in case there's a mole on the ship. Right. But that was never under question. And throughout the whole movie, there's never a question that there is or isn't a mole. Well, it, it wasn't spoken um, out loud. But but it wasn't even like hinted at that there could be a mole. That That's why I thought the tracking I, thing was a thing. It was, it was like, oh, yeah, is the tracking thing a mole? But that was never brought up or talked about or thought about it at all. I guess my thing is like, it's not so much like a specific mole on the ship, but mostly, mostly just like, 
in general, like, let's keep this on a need-to-know basis and so that, like, in case there is, in case word is leaking somewhere, um, like, we keep these things quiet. Like, this is, this is a plan that involves, like, sneaking away and keeping quiet. So, like, you don't tell everyone right away until... We you absolutely have to. I get it. I, it's but. it's a lot. I don't care. <laughs> it is it is it is less. It's very much not an important thing. But the whole time yeah. as I was watching, because I I don't know why the mole thing got to me, but that's part of what I remembered from the first time watching it. And the fact that yeah. there are no moles or it's never mentioned in this movie ever or even thought about, I was like, I that plays into my mind a lot more than it <laughs> than I thought it did. So yeah. Um, but I just feel like she could have saved herself a lot of trouble by telling him. Not that she had to sure. or that she should have. But at some point when right. he's freaking out and just being like, hey, dude, here's the deal. Go go calm down. <laughs> like, go. Yeah. Also, you're fired. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. No, I, I get you. Um, I think I'm I'm OK with like that. Of, of all the things that like I've had to like suspend disbelief for in movies, <laughs> like, that's one I just don't care that much about. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, it makes sense. Yeah. It makes sense. <laughs> um, yeah. So another thing that I, while watching this movie, really wanted to talk about, you know, I'm trying, again, I, as I was watching it, I was really trying to just think back on all the other Ryan Johnson films and like what themes and patterns I'm noticing. Um, and in addition to Eat the Rich, another, like the two other big ones that I think that show up in this movie that have shown up in his others are... The idea of, like, who your parents are and how that affects who who you become, how it does and doesn't affect who you become, you know? Um, mm-hmm. I especially, I think that was such a big part of Looper and, like, how your childhood and your past affects your future. And then this that plays a big part in this movie with, like, Ray's entire journey, um, as well as, like, kylo's like inner turmoil um and so i really enjoyed like seeing the connection with with that theme and then as i also my favorite kind of like message in stories is the idea that the lives we live are stories we are telling every day and that story and myth and legend are like really important and that's a big part of brothers bloom um, and that's also a really big part of this movie and like Luke's whole journey is that the myth and the story and the legend of Sky of, of Jedi's, um, and Skywalker's is like hurting the galaxy and that like Ray is here to like tell him that that's not the case, that this is a story and a myth that can, that can change and like make do good. And yeah. And that. Ray is like forging her own path and her own story, like in her parent, and that intertwines with the whole parental thing. And I'm rambling now, but those are those are all things that I was watching. Is like this is why I fucking love this movie. This is why I like Ryan Johnson. Yeah, I was feeling. I it. Uh, I think Ray's parentage in this movie is one of the best things about Star Wars in general. <laughs> um, I think just yeah, the the way it's handled, her fear of you know not being important. Um, in any way and not having the you know the ability to to overcome that i think is amazing um i love her and uh kylo ren's connection i think this is this is like we get new new force stuff in this movie and i love it i absolutely love the whole connection stuff in this movie 
Um, and it's it's hard not to watch this movie without thinking about the third movie. But <laughs> it, I mean, um, it is th- those Ray and Kylo scenes are thrilling. Like it is so yeah. impressive that he was able to take in like a big budget Star Wars action movie that the most some of the most thrilling scenes are full of silence and just two people like whispering to each other. And like, I'm on the edge of my seat in every single one of them. Um, it's like a, a triumph of acting and yeah, I can't believe that he pulled it off. And then to like have all of that throughout like the first half of the film and all this tension, like building between these two characters and like in the audience and then to like have such have not just one but like like two spectacular finales with, that are like th- thrilling to watch in like an action sense mm-hmm. is also such a like triumph that throne room scene is one of like my favorite scenes in all of Star Wars um yep. it's like great choreography and action and visuals and character development and all of it wrapped in one um, you could have ended the movie with it. And then they go like, nope, movie's not over. We get a whole <laughs> other set piece that you're going to like fucking love. Yeah. Um, with like the Luke Kylo showdown and um, with the Falcon flying. And yeah, it's it's so impressive. They did more in one movie that like some trilogies have been able to do, you know? Yeah. And oh I, yeah. I, 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 yeah. Yeah. It's really. I, think it's, I, I was watching it and I was just kind of like, wow. This is why this is one of like not just my favorite Star Wars movies, but like one of my favorite movies of the decade. <laughs> yeah. To me, it's definitely the most impressive Star Wars movie of everything that they were able to do in here. Like this yeah. is. I f- I feel like with a lot of um, writer directors, I talked about this at the beginning, but they kind of get lost in the franchise. And it doesn't feel like their movie. And um, we talked about the writing um, kind of coming through. And But this movie, we said it looks beautiful, but it also just looks very Ryan Johnson. Like a lot of the shots just feel like him. It feels like stuff that he, you know, that he does in his other movies. Um, and it's it's really impressive that he has so much control over this movie yeah. <laughs> um, in such a large franchise. It's so impressive. Yeah. I mean... We, we've already talked about it, like, in other episodes, but the use of the color red in this movie is mm-hmm. so, like, so well done. And when I think of, like, the use of the color red, of course my mind immediately goes to, like, the throne, the throne room and a crate. Yeah. And those are, like, the two, like, significant places. But then once you know to look for it, like, red is all over this film. Yeah. And, like... And it and it's the film is subconsciously like building up the importance of the color red, and then like there's this explosion of it in both of the finales, um, yeah. and I I love that. Um, I also in this viewing, like really started to take notice of how much Ryan Johnson uses silence in this in mm-hmm. in Last Jedi, and obviously, like I said, we have like this. He he does the same thing where he like subconsciously builds throughout the beginning of it. He has all these moments where there's a lot of silence, and you and it's but it's not super noticeable until 
there is the big finale moment where there is this grand moment of silence and you're blown away by it. Um, and so like, obviously silence is a big part in that grand finale moment, but there's also, you know, the Ray and Kylo, like auditorial cue. There's like a a little bit of a Mm -hmm. noise that's like a vacuum that's like sucking all the sound of the scene out. And then you know that it's a scene where they can see each other, not by any visual references, but by the the, the silence and the yeah. lack of background noise. It's all auditory. It's so yes. good. <laughs> yes. And then in addition to that, there were many shots um, I can think of during like spaceship battles where something big would happen and there wasn't like actual silence. There was still music being played, mm-hmm. but, um, and some sound effects, but we would cut to a scene that you could visually see a lot of noise was happening. People were yelling or something, but you couldn't hear any of the noise in the scene that you're seeing. You know what right. I mean? Right. Instead you're hearing, background music or noise from like something that's taking place outside of the ship and you're seeing something happening inside of the ship. There were a Mm -hmm. lot of those where you could say, quote unquote, like silence is being used because you're not hearing and seeing the same thing. And I really loved that technique as well. Yeah. Yeah. I think he's just such a good director. (laughs) I feel like we just keep saying that over and over again, but, um, yeah, I think, I think just the way, the way he kind of, uh, puts together a movie with this budget is really impressive. I, I want him to, I know we, we, we joke about him, uh, losing his trilogy just because it is never going to happen eventually, but, um, I really want, I really want, um, his, his trilogy to happen. I just think given him giving him, giving him a budget that big um to do a trilogy all on his own is would be really impressive to see um just because something like this is yeah, i mean you you do not get this this that often <laughs> yeah you know what i would re- what i really want why i really want Ryan Johnson to have a trilogy is i want to see what he does thematically with three movies yes you know yes like we've got to see like how great of a writer is and how strong his themes are in individual films. What would he do when he has three movies to tell a story? Um, what would he do when he has like a Harry Potter franchise? Not like, I'm not saying he should do <laughs> Harry Potter, but like something yeah. on the scale of Harry Potter where it's like, or Lord of the Rings. It's like a yeah. story told over a long stretch. Mm-hmm. What does, how does his powers, how do his powers translate there? That is thrilling to me. Yeah. Yeah. Also, I'm so impressed. This kind of is more about the release, but I'm so impressed with his um, ability to continue working with all the vitriol that was thrown at him after this movie came out. Well, I mean, what we haven't talked about a lot is Ryan Johnson, the human being, you know? Yes. (laughs) Part of why I think he's a great director and why I like him as a director is because I think he also seems to be like a pretty great human being. Yeah. And like a really friendly, empathetic, smart person. Um, And I think that's what makes his movies so good. (laughs) And following him on Twitter and listening to him in interviews, every time I ever listened to him, like, come on the Slash film cast, Mm -hmm. I was always really taken by him and his personality and his love for cinema and, like, how, how funny he is in person and how charming and kind he also presents himself to be yeah um 
And like you said, like during the Star Wars like stuff, he had a lot of times where he could have like been very snide and he wouldn't have gotten any blowback for that from like people like us. Right. You know what right. I mean? We would yeah. have been like, oh yeah, great. Like, we would have cheered <laughs> him on. Yeah. And every single time he like, he never took that opportunity. He always took like the classiest path available. Yeah. Um, and he's like never once failed to not be classy in the public eye. Mm-hmm. And that's in, in today's age, very hard to do. <laughs> and so <laughs> like, I really credit him that. Definitely. Um, Definitely. The last thing I want to say is that like, this movie is full of, a, like I said, a lot of great, themes and morals and lessons and there's so many things like this is a movie that i want if i ever have kids like i want my kids to see and love this movie because i think it'll like make them better people you know (laughs) yeah in the way that like good fairy tales do like good fairy tales like teach you lessons and like this movie has a lot of great lessons to learn um and so there's a lot of quotes right. and things that I really love from this movie. But watching it this time, I was like, oh, now that I've heard it for the fourth or fifth time I've seen this movie, I can very easily say, like, this is the best quote of the movie. Like, the <laughs> the most, wi- the, the wisest. Um, and that's Yoda talking to Skywalker. And he says... Pass on what you have learned, strength, mastery, but weakness, folly, failure also. Yes, failure most of all. The greatest teacher failure is. Luke, we are what they grow beyond. That is the true burden of all masters. And like... So good. That, that's so good. It's it's so good because it's it hits your heart. And it's one of those things that you hear and you're like, oh, I didn't even though I needed to hear that today, you know, um, the importance of failure, but then also it's so star Wars that yeah. like, yeah. we are what they grow beyond. That is the true burden of all masters that he is able to weave the ethos of like every tri- star Wars trilogy is that exact lesson. Yep. The burden of masters is that their pupils gr- are what grow, grow beyond them. And that also, is like the burden of parents and it's a good, it's a fairy tale for children and parents. And that's why I love it. Well said. Thanks. It's really <laughs> impressive. <laughs> yeah. It's a great movie. It he, is. He killed it. He did. <laughs> I, mean, I do believe I, I hope Ryan Johnson has a long career and that movies are still made after 2020 <laughs> and that like that we're still around in 20 years and that in like, 20 or 30 years, we look back on Ryan Johnson's career and we see Last Jedi and like the cinematic world sees Last Jedi for like the masterpiece that I think it is now. We can only hope. Yeah. All right. Well, Sandra, where can everybody find you on the internet? You can find me on all social media platforms at Sandra Amstutz. My last name is spelled A-M-S-T-U-T-Z. You can find me everywhere at Lucas and Stuff, and we'll be back next time to talk about Knives Out and how that, how all of these movies that we've talked about in this series build to um, his, I would say his masterpiece. I think oh, you think this is his masterpiece, but... <laughs> yeah, I kind of um, showed my cards. <laughs> you did show your cards, but... <laughs> uh, yeah, we'll talk about Knives Out next time, so... All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you. Goodbye now. Goodbye. Go away. I'll see you.
you soon, okay? That's it? Go home? Yep. Moving along, Padre. Goodbye, old friend. That's it. That's our show for tonight, people. 